This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Austin, also known as Teacup. And my name is Shelby, also known as Sheacup. Join us as we embark on unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed universe. From Assassins to Templars to the mysterious Isu and more, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Hello and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby or SheCup and I'm joined here with my co-host. Yes, I am Austin or Teacup. And we're super excited to be digging into the lore of Assassin's Creed today. We have for like the past month or two been talking about all the different types of pieces of Eden. So we finished all those. We talked about all of those, which means we're moving into something new. Yes, we are moving in to the creators of the pieces of Eden themselves, the Isu. So this episode will just be kind of a general history and overview of the Isu before we spend a couple episodes talking about the major players and specific Isu that we've encountered in the game. So we're not diving into any specific Isu today. We're just giving a broad overview. Correct. Gotcha. So it might be a shorter episode than you're used to, but... Because as important as they are, we actually don't know a lot about them as a species or unit. Interesting. Yeah. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So to begin with, we first encounter an Isu in Assassin's Creed 2. And I wanted to start there because it's an in- it has one of the most interesting quotes, I think, for the Assassin's Creed universe which you know Ezio sees Minerva in the temple under the Vatican and he says to Minerva he says you're gods and Minerva says no we are not gods we simply came before and this leads us into one of the Isus names that they give that people refer to them as which is the ones who came before. Minerva kind of hints before, like, human, humankind. So, as a general overview, the Isu are a race of ancient and highly advanced beings who ruled the Earth prior to the dominance of humans. And the dominance of humans is basically just, like, establishing Homo sapien or just that human style as, like, top of the food chain, top of the evolutionary tree in the earth. The Isu are responsible for the creation of pieces of Eden, as well as they are responsible for the creation of the human race. Uh, The Isu have gone by several names throughout history, uh, some of them adopting the names of human pantheons or vice versa, the human pantheons develop around the Isu, i.e. Juno, Jupiter, Minerva, Odin, Loki, all of these things that we've encountered i just have an interesting thought that it's interesting to me that like so far in the games we've only really seen isu taking the names of like greek slash roman gods and norse gods 
like there are so many more gods out there that they could have representation from basically you know um and i I guess that that probably does get into the age-old question on this podcast of is it okay to tamper with uh religions but i just think it's interesting that they've only basically taken from like two mythologies yes um And it's interesting that we don't get the kind of personified interaction with the Egyptian pantheon in the same way. Yes, like I knew before I started playing Origins, that's the first Assassin's Creed game I played, um, but I already knew about some of the other games because we were doing research for this show, right? Um, And so I fully went into Origins expecting to have more of the personification, like you said, of the Egyptian gods, like Ra being an Isu, but we didn't, we didn't see that at all. Right. You get a little bit of it in the DLC you haven't played, but yeah, you're right in that. And, you know, there are Isu who have no connection to any pantheon, like one named Aletheia is in there. She's not really connected Consus is sometimes referred to as being Hephaestus, but Hephaestus is also viewed as a separate being. So who knows really there. Um, But the interesting thing is that uh, Abstergo and the Templar order coined a scientific name for the Isu, which is Homo sapiens divinitus, which is disgusting. Why is it disgusting? Well, I just think that the way that the Latin works, it's basically humankind divine. Like this idea that it's just, oh, it's humankind made divine. And like the fact that the Templar order would choose to do that when they want to basically assert themselves as gods and controllers of humankind. It's really interesting to me, um, and maybe this name comes after, but it's interesting to me that this name is... um, homo sapiens divinitus when i feel like the isu and all the the content want to separate themselves from humanity so why would they not have a different name why are they lumping in with homo sapiens right i feel like why do they have sapien in there should it not just be homo divinitus like yeah yeah exactly i digress we're told that minerva tells us that humankind was made in the isu's image which i'm not don't love but It's that kind of classic thing of, oh, we're made in the Isu's image, so let's project our image onto them, because that must must be how it is. Right. Yeah. Um, It's almost they're anthropomorphizing these. And then, like, is that the, that's another best question. Is what we see the Isu as actually their form, or just what we've only ever seen in Isu through a human eye? But we've also seen Isu through the eyes of people who have Isu DNA. That's true. So, I don't know. (laughs) So they're also referred to as several groups. They're the ones who came before, the first civilization, the precursors, which is similar to the ones came before, the ancient ones, which is what the Order of Ancients refers them to, hence the Order of Ancients name, the Archons, and the Nephilim. That last, the last two are pretty interesting. Yes. Um, specifically the Nephilim, because that comes from a biblical context, which were a race of 
basically angels came down and slept with humans and produced a race of giants, I think is what the Nephilim are, which for those of you who don't know, Nephilim is just a plural name for the for a race of something. That em at the end makes it plural. And so... But Archon is also interesting to me, and this is because of the connotation with Dragon Age. The Archons are the rulers of um, a country in the Dragon Age universe. So mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. Um, but Archon in the Greek just means ruler, so... Right. Yeah, it could also mean, like... You could have an archon. There's similar sharing words with like archetype or something like that, like something that represents an ideal or something like that. Um, But yeah, that's kind of the general, like what are the Isu? Uh, We'll get into a little bit more of their characteristics after our break in the end. But I thought let's, let's dive in and talk about the history that we know of the era that came before the Isu era. So like most ancient history, the beginning of the Isu era is unclear. We don't know. We don't know. For all we know, it seems like the Isu are a result of billions of years of evolution. But for all we know, there could have been a those who came before the ones who came before. Similar again to Mass Effect with the Protheans, you know, yes. and the the Reaper cycle and, and all of that. Yes. And this is something that is very, very interesting. We do know because of the shared DNA and everything, Isu are native to Earth. They are not aliens that came from a different space-faring group that just landed on Earth. They are native beings of Earth, of Terra, of this so they're planet. So they're not colonists then. No, they are people who have risen up through evolution and are the result of billions of years of evolution. But I think that when we'll get into this, at some point, Isu would create Homo sapiens meant to be a docile workforce. And they would also create Homo neanderthalensis as a militant force. So that is the Neanderthals, which we do know from some recent archeological, I say recent, like in the last 50 years, 60, 50 years, um, archeological evidence that Homo sapiens and the Neanderthals would have lived around the same time to each other, would have existed at the same time. So basically what you're saying is that the Neanderthals were used as the army of the Isu and the Homo sapiens are used as basically like household servants kind of thing. Workforce, agriculture. That's really interesting. Uh, it's very much a Athens-Sparta divide. Yes. Well, and we know, I did a little bit of research, not a lot, but the Neanderthals did appear like more physically imposing than Homo sapiens do. Like they're more, they have more of a like, primate look to them I guess based on their skeletons you know what I mean like and their skulls look more primate than homo sapiens do so I think that's kind of like playing into the fact that they look more like they could fight than homo sapiens do but so Juno remarks that humans were never meant to be wise they were meant to be resilient to the what 
quote unquote, is the earth's harsh conditions, but they were never meant to be wise, to be a perfect, obedient, docile workforce. Research by Clay Kersmerich suggests that the Isu drastically altered the DNA of existing primates on Earth, which I find interesting because it's similar things that the Protheans and the Solarians do to species across the Mass Effect galaxy. Like they, the Solarians call it uplifting, which means that they change the DNA or speed along the evolutionary process, which I think is interesting. So are we coming back around to the theory of, of Assassin's Creed is what happens when the Reapers win? Maybe. I would say that Assassin's Creed is what happens when there are no Reapers. Oh, because if there, if there were Reapers, the Isu would have been taken out. Well, I thought we had decided the Isu were the Reapers. No, I thought our analogy, we decided that the Isu were the Protheans. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, at some point in this history, before the Great Catastrophe, which we'll talk about all this, there is an Isu civil war that's fought among different factions of the Isu over control of various pieces of Eden. And that's all we know about it. We just know there was an Isu civil war. Later in the Isu era, Isu hybrids, Adam and Eve, would steal an apple of Eden and ignite a full-scale rebellion against uh the Isu. While the Isu were more advanced, humanity was able to hold their own through sheer numbers, that they outnumbered the Isu so much. Now, I want to talk about something because there's a big parallel here with the Exodus story. And let's talk about that in Egyptian mythology, it's often viewed that their pharaohs are either, there's some connection to Ra, Ra or godhood among the Egyptian pharaohs. Like they're either the divine right of kings kind of things existing around the Egyptian pharaohs. In the Exodus story, it is said that Pharaoh's reason for moving against the Israelites is because he fears how numerous they will become and that they'll rise up and strike back against us. I think this is like a similar thing that like the similar idea of slaves or oppressed people realizing that they have a numerical advantage and moving against the Isu. Like it's that theme that comes again. Uh, but it may be very well that even though in the biblical narrative, and we think there's thousands of years potentially between Adam and Eve and Moses, but I just think that's interesting with the parallel and just that it's sheer numbers that allow humanity to hold their own against the Isu. I think that's interesting. And I also think that this is a very common story for groups who are dominant over another group. They think that they're always going to be dominant over that other group. And so then they like, you know, basically this is also the story of slavery in the United States where there were so many more slaves, enslaved people living on plantations than 
slave owners, you know? So this is a very common story of, of dominance of people who own other people, people who control other people is they think they're always going to be in power and they don't even, they can't even conceive of a possibility of what happens when the people I'm controlling rise up against me. Right. Exactly. And so this conflict lasts for decades before coming to close with what is known as the Great Catastrophe. And so before we get into the Great Catastrophe, I think now is a good time for our break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Makose! Shoot! Shoot the flying demon! Malaka! 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 Even now, faced as I am with the truth of your cold words, I refuse because I believe things can still change. I may never succeed. The assassins may struggle another thousand years in vain, but we will not stop. Welcome to the break. This is the part of the show where we talk about all things that have to do with the podcast and not necessarily the lore of the show. This is also the time where we thank all of our patrons. So first thing I want to plug is our Discord server. We do have our own server called the Cups Podcasting and More. It is my favorite place on the internet. We have a great time. We talk about all things Assassin's Creed. We also talk about Dragon Age, the Inheritance Cycle, Star Wars, our pets, and so much more. Make sure you come join our Discord server. The link is in the bio or description of the episode. You can also come join the Robots Radio server, of which we are also a part. We do have our own channel there. And if you're looking for a new podcast, this is definitely the place to be. So come check it out. And we also do have a new review to read out today. And this review is from Keith R who emailed us this review. So thank you so much, Keith. And Keith says five stars. Hey guys, I'm a huge fan of y'all's work. I'm a longtime Assassin's Creed fan and y'all's deep lore is my favorite thing. I don't ever have time. So I usually listen to you guys when I bike to and from work. I hope that y'all do like a guest thing one day and I'd be more than happy to chime in with you guys and over Discord. Y'all are awesome. Thank you so much, Keith R. And this is a great transition into the time where I thank our patrons because Keith R. is also one of our new patrons. He is our very first mentor assassin tier patron, which means Keith, if you're listening, you do get to come and guest on the show with us once a month. Um, all of our all of our uh, patrons who are at the master assassin tier level and higher get to come on the show once per month for our patron chats and we're starting those in October so if you were thinking about becoming a patron thinking about wanting to come on the show now is the time to do it um, so Keith we'll talk to you on the show in a few weeks and also going back to the reviews, if you haven't left us a review, you can leave us a review on Apple iTunes or on Spotify. So I think that's all I've got for the middle of the show, Austin. So I'm just going to turn it back over to you. And I know I was really nice to you, but actually I'm just another Templar plot twist. And yes, I would like very much for you to be controlled by a magic space wizard so that you can murder me. Right, we 
All right. Well, this is the big event. This is what all the Isu talk about all the time, the great catastrophe. We're first told about this event by Minerva at the end of Assassin's Creed 2. And basically what happens is a massive solar flare hits the Earth, disrupts the magnetic poles, and causes a massive environmental crisis. Basically makes the Earth have a geological crisis, geologically unstable volcanoes, earthquakes, weird weather things. I am not a scientist. I am not an astrophysicist. I do not know the effect that a massive solar flare would have on hitting the Earth. I do know that solar radiation can cause a lot of problems, as we know from sunburns and UV rays are not necessarily good. But Again, I'm not a scientist. I do not know the plausibility. If you are a scientist, please tell me the plausibility of this happening. Um, I'm not a scientist either, but this narrative does, though, remind me very much of what we think happened to the dinosaurs. Right. With uh, um, a meteor. In that case, it's a meteor hitting the Earth. Yeah. So this event would wipe out the Isu and wipe out a good majority of humanity, though humanity does survive. And there's a couple of Isu who do survive, but for the majority, the Isu are wiped out. So this begs the question of how did this happen? You're a super advanced race with lots of technology. You didn't see a solar flare coming. You weren't monitoring your star that controls your earth. Well, arrogance and power often blinds people and the Isu were blinded by their war with humanity and their war to subjugate and basically bring back in line their workforce. And so they don't really see this coming in time. They do see it coming before it happens, but not in time. There are three Isu scientists named of Juno, Minerva, and Jupiter, and they begin to research how the solar flares stop or to stop it. They don't have enough time to do anything that they want. They have all these ideas from creating a giant shield around the earth to the creation of the Isu sage to using an apple of Eden. This is really philosophical. So we know an apple of Eden from our episodes can project tangible illusions. It had been experimented that if enough minds are brought together under an apple with a singular thought, they can create something out of nothing, basically. Bring something to reality, will their thoughts on the universe, basically. So the thing they want to try is sending an apple up into space, basically, and binding the entire planet together to basically will the tragedy away. That seems like it's doomed to failure. Uh, there was no, well, basically what happened is there was no way to control it. And there was too much energy on the apple um, to try to do that. But what's interesting about that one is that's exactly what Abstergo is trying to do with their satellite. Right. But I just think that's interesting. And I think that that has, I'm glad that that didn't happen because I feel like the consequences of that happening would be humanity would never break free again 
So one group of Isu does succeed in surviving the catastrophe in their own way. And this is the creation of the Isu sages. I'm not gonna tell you, go into big detail of what a sage is and how it works because that's another episode in and of itself. But a group of Isu known as the Aesir, which are a group of Norse gods, that's basically the gods of Asgard. They basically, in Odin's effort to subvert Ragnarok, which is the great catastrophe, he basically learns this possibility of transferring consciousness into another vessel, which basically allows these Isu to be reborn as Isu sages throughout the time. Outside of the Aesir and Loki, there's only one other member who has been a sage, and that is Aida, who is the husband of Juno, which I just think is funny that Juno's husband isn't Jupiter, but whatever. They do survive that way. You look very confused and like you have a lot of questions. I'm not confused. I just think it's interesting. So I just read this book. Um, This is kind of a tangent, but I read this book called The Witch's Heart. If anybody has read it, DM me because it's very interesting. And it's basically a retelling of all of the Norse mythology and Ragnarok and all of that. Um, And this, what you've just said, reminds me a little bit of something that happens in that book and and basically what one of the principles one of the big things that happens in the book is is something called seid s-e-i-d and um it's a type of magic that's practiced and the main character is the one that teaches it to odin and it's almost like a shape-shifting and future telling ability um and they often when they practice seid they um go into the other realm I don't know um and they end up like touching and communicating with Yggdrasil the tree right Mm -hmm. and so everything you just said reminded me of that and feeling like that practicing say this type of magic could be what they're doing with the Isu right um it is the waters of uh Yggdrasil that allows this to happen So there's definitely a lot of interesting things. And Yggdrasil is a um, actual Isu artifact in the Assassin's Creed universe. It is basically a centralized nexus type of being where like you can view the strands of time. Hmm. Which makes sense because like the world tree, everything passes through the world tree. Yeah. everything going on there but yeah and so juno and minerva both survived the catastrophe minerva stays behind basically to instruct and leave messages for humanity and juno is imprisoned in the great temple until she is freed by desmond in 2012 and that's really the great catastrophe all we really know about it um do you have any thoughts on that before i move into our kind of last thing and then we talk about the soon general um no let's move on okay so just the general characteristics of the isu and the abilities that they hold without pieces of eden their anatomy is very similar to humans just similar uh they do however possess a sixth sense known as the sense of knowledge this is equal vision which 
at its very core, Eagle Vision allows you to sense the intentions of your opponent, of your targets, of those around you, whether they're good to you, they're your enemy, or they're somewhat neutral. Isu were at least 20 inches taller than the average human. For those of you who do not use the whatever system the American measurement system is called, there's an imperial system. Um, for those of you who do not use that, that's about, that's almost two feet, which is like a, a little, like about two thirds of a meter, give or take. So, I mean, that's significant. That means they're on average, they're around seven to eight feet. Yeah, that's way taller than us. Yes. Like eight feet is taller even than basketball players. Yes. I don't think the tall the tallest human is still within the seven foot range, I believe. I don't know. I'm looking it up. Um incorrect. Oh. The world's tallest human is was a man named Robert Pershing Wadlow, who lived from 1918 to 1940. He was known as the Giant of Illinois. And are you ready for how I'm tall ready. he was? I'm you're ready. Not, you're not ready. I want you to guess. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, eight feet, five inches. Incorrect. Eight hmm. feet, 11 inches. Almost nine feet tall. Nine feet tall. Damn. Anyways, back to Assassin's yeah. Creed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they also possess a triple helix DNA sequence, which average humans, homo sapiens, possess a double helix. We are unaware if Isu hybrids are the result of genetic modification or just through a general like sexual means of reproduction. Which one do you think it is? I really hate the implications of a sexual means of e reproduction, meaning that an Isu had sex with a human homo sapien and produced a Isu hybrid just because that's gross. Well, I mean, the humans are basically their slaves, so. Yeah, so I think that is probably likely happened. It could also be, it could be a both and situation, but I think the latter is probably more likely just because we know that Isu DNA is passed on through reproduction through humans and bloodline. Those of Isu descendants, whether through hybrids or other means, Isu sages, possess a resilience to pieces of Eden, as well as increased abilities and the abilities to use eagle vision or the sense of knowledge. And often they can interact with artifacts that contain the consciousness of Isu without going crazy. Which we have seen that in games. Yes, I mean, I do not think that if for example, if Rodrigo Borgia had entered the great the temple under the Vatican, I don't think he would have seen Minerva. I think he would have gone insane. So only someone with Isu DNA like Ezio would have been able to really have a conversation with her. Right. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that's all that we really know about the Isu's history. We do know a, a little bit more about the Isu in general, but this is the general history we will get into more of the details as we dive into each specific isu awesome i'm looking forward to it yeah but that's all we got all right well thank you so much for listening to the assassin's creed lorecast we will see you next week 
Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at Assassin's Creed Lorecast, or you could talk to us on Discord in the Robots Radio Discord or our personal Discord server. Both links found in this episode's descriptions. Thank you for listening, and always stay to the shadows to serve the light, Assassins. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Mikola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's the Elden Archives, a FromSoft Lorecast available everywhere.